Hello, my fired up friends. I am Daniela, and today I've got something a little different for you on the Woman on Fire podcast. As you can tell, I do not have Jamie with me today, but that is only because I'm going to be sharing with you something that I pre-recorded a while ago. So just a different format that we haven't done before. It's a recording I did when I was invited to share about menstruation, what the cycle's like, and fertility uh, for a women's group here uh, in Hawaii. And I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to make that meeting live. So I did a pre-recording just in case, right? Because being on call, it's always possible I can't do what I scheduled So I ended up being able to make that appointment, which was great. Uh, And then I was also left with this awesome recording. And it's just been sitting here on my computer. And I've been wanting to share it with you for a while. And then Jamie said, gosh, you know, I listened to our, she listened to our other podcast uh, about, I think we called it uh, Reclaiming Menstruation and Fertility. And that one has proven to be one of our most listen to episodes you guys love that one so I figured you would like this one too Jamie had a reflection about that episode um about you know like yeah we share some information and then that you know it's almost like we could also could have shared a lot more information um so that first episode about menstruation and fertility I realized it was just like the tip of the iceberg right Honestly, a lot of what we record sometimes is that uh, it's just something that we share in hopes to inspire you to want to dig deeper, something to spark your curiosity, um, to offer a different perspective, right? It's not the end all be all by no means. It's just like, hey, um, here's something cool. And I hope you go and run with it and learn more for yourselves. Um But anyways, here I will have the recording for you um, of a little bit more than just the tip of the iceberg. So just know as you're listening to it that I was speaking in a way that was addressing a group, right? So maybe when I'm speaking in the recording, it might seem a little funny or out of context. Um, And I was uh, talking to a friend in the moment of uh, making sure I was addressing what she wanted me to address for her group. Um, So you might hear that here and there. Um, Just do your best to make it applicable. Um, And if you have any questions about the many things that I talk about along the way, feel free to message us at the Woman on Fire podcast at gmail.com. And yeah, this lecture that you're going to hear shortly um, is really like practical information It's just like, what uh, does a menstrual cycle kind of look like? How do you count the days? How can you know when you're ovulating? What are different signs? And in some ways, that episode is, or this episode is also kind of the tip of the iceberg. (laughs) Um, Like, you're not going to learn necessarily exactly how to chart your cycle in order to be able to... um, uh, use it in a, as a contraceptive method, but I do address the fact that it is possible, right? So again, it's like, ah, oh, tip of the iceberg, this exists, now go dig deeper if you're really into it. So yeah, without further ado, here it goes.
so menstruation and fertility because Carly and I were talking you know like what what do we want this to be about and what that's what came up we want individuals to realize that you can uh, really befriend your cycle and by understanding your cycle and the phases of it you can really take a lot more charge of your life but it comes in you know that charge that power that empowerment that sovereignty comes from understanding yourself so i hope this invites you deeper into understanding yourself okay the spirit of this talk is about your relationship with your menstrual cycle which is thus your relationship with nature and we'll get into that but that's because it's an ebb and flow it's our secular ways nature is cyclical right so i have journal prompts for you that you know we will have sent out and i'm not necessarily going to ask you to share those answers but i want you to keep that in mind as we navigate this talk because those journal prompts were about inviting you to just check in and see where you're at where are you in relationship to your cycle in relationship to uh, or with your relationship with your womb and your yoni where are you no judgments of where you're at it doesn't matter it's just where are you okay and then that's where you're you're gonna meet yourself okay whatever came up with that you know maybe it was pain maybe it was love maybe it was feelings of inconvenience or that it's beautiful or it's nasty or it's complicated which is likely um i don't care what it was just recognize whatever it was and then meet yourself there that's where the work starts wherever you are okay that's where we grow from okay ah <sighs> So I invited you to think about your relationship to your period. And more often than not, in our contemporary modern culture and times, what I hear over and over again is a oh, woman having unpleasant relationships with their cycles. Um, you know they're painful they're a drag they're inconvenient they're a burden they they don't enjoy their cycle they don't enjoy bleeding and menstruating and i get it i mean i've been there okay and to be honest i still have some cycles every now and then where i'm like ah why you know so i'm not saying i figured it all out it's a process you know um but also I am here today to address and disrupt that narrative that menstruating sucks. Okay, I'm here to reframe the way that you see your cycle, that we all see our cycle, to rewrite the story that you tell yourself about menstruation, and thus the story that we collectively pass down to generations to come. Okay, because odds are our relationship to our cycle and at least our first experiences with our first period were highly shaped by the stories that were passed down to us, right? One of my questions in the journal prompts is, you know, what was your first experiences with menstruating? 
And, and I really love diving into this with people because it says so much. And honestly, a lot of us still carry that out way into adulthood, you know? Um, so I know for me, like, I didn't tell anyone, like I had seen a bunch of pad and tampon commercials, so I knew what to do, right? <laughs> that was it. Like, I never talked to anyone about it until, you know, I grew into my own and moved out and, you know, figure out my, my own way. Um, there was a lot of secrecy and shame and taboos and silence. We're here to break the silence. Thanks for joining me in that adventure. <laughs> um, and if you feel yourself throughout this talk or through the journal prompts feeling uncomfortable, that's okay. Um, and I am here to hold space with you in a safe, loving way to uh, please let yourself dive into the discomforts that might come up, you know, because I get it, you know, we're often passed along the story of shame, uh, that it's gross and disgusting. And when someone tells you that a part of you like, oh, period blood, ill, that's gross. If a part of you is gross, then that means you're gross. And that's how I know I took it eventually over time was like, I felt gross about myself. Like, ew, I'm gross. That's not true. I came to find out. So that's what we're here. We're here to disrupt those harmful stories and uncover the truth. Okay. Ah, so then all the information I'm going to share here with you today to support you in living in harmony with your cycle and yoni so that it feels a lot less of a drag and inconvenience and more like a divine superpower. I promise you, it really can feel that way. <laughs> and sure, maybe sometimes more than others. Okay, reminder, you have the power to choose what lens you look at your period with. Okay, you get to choose which stories and perspectives and angles you want to stick to. You can choose to always say it's annoying or you can choose to say, oh no, what a blessing. More info on that as we dive into this here, but you have the power is the point, okay? So, right, in other words, you choose how you perceive your period. It's all up to you. All right. So, here's a question that Carly and I were talking about, you know, months ago when we thought of this. So, it's how many of you were told at some point, or for whatever reason you believed, or maybe you heard, that you can just get pregnant at any point women where you just like at any point you can just get pregnant period so you're just always at risk of that i can't see your hands because we're recording but <laughs> yeah. yeah that was that was pretty much how i spent most of my life thinking about my fertility at any moment i could just become pregnant so you know once i became sexually active and many years after i like i was just winging it <laughs> i mean i uh, I personally have just um, almost never used uh, hormonal birth control. So that was never like, you know, a safety net for me. Um, you know, sometimes barrier methods, more often than not, it was just the pullout method. So like every single month for years, I was just like, well, am I going to get my period this month or not? You know, that that was that was it. That's all I had to 
rely on to know if I was pregnant or not. It was just waiting around for a period to show up. <laughs> oh, and that, that's not, not fun at all. Um, unless you're actually trying to get pregnant, sure. Um, but even if you are trying to get pregnant, it's way more helpful to actually know when your chances of getting pregnant are higher or even a chance at all. So we're going to dive into tools today of to address this so that you aren't left the way I was thinking there's nothing that you could do because it's not true. You're not always fertile. <laughs> okay. Um, and it baffles me that our health education classes in like high school and middle school don't cover these basics. They're just like, don't do it. Or if you're going to do it, like always wear a condom or you'll get an SD and, and that's it. Like that's the end of the class. <laughs> oh yeah. That needs some serious revamping. All right. Back to my notes because I stray. All right. So so let's let's understand the phases of the menstrual cycle, right? Um, it's got four phases, all right? Day one of your cycle is the first day that you bleed, the first day of your period. That's the start of one cycle, right? So keep that in mind because that is the framework for if you ever find yourself diving into charting your cycle um, or like the fertility awareness method. We'll talk about that if you don't know. Um, but this is how it works. This is how you would count the days of your cycle. So day one, you start bleeding. Great. So that's obviously the menstrual phase. Eh? <laughs> and, you know, it, it can range anywhere from like three days to seven weeks that's about a general range you know five days average somewhere around there great um so second phase is the follicular phase the third phase is ovulation the fourth is luteal phase some say luteal i like luteal <laughs> tomato tomato i believe so so let's dive into each one, break it down a little bit. Um, please know, I am very much so just sharing this. I mean, we every cycle will have the four phases in some way or another, but know that there is variations and flexibilities in the length of each one and what it looks like and feels like. Um, so I'm, you know, they say an average cycle is 28 days. Sure. Yeah, on average, but that means some people will have a 26-day cycle. Some people will have a 35-day cycle. And we'll talk later about why there's those variations and what can play into that. But um, just know, I'm going to run through one menstrual cycle uh, from the 28-day standard, just for the sake of this example here. All right, so let's go through the four phases. Menstruation, straightforward, yeah. So what's in the menstrual blood? Uh, it's blood. <laughs> we have stem cells in there as well. Um, there's tissue that was actually built up inside of the uterus where uh, a fertilized egg could have potentially implanted, but obviously didn't. Um, so you'll see tissue. Um, and there's 
mucus, right? There's some mucus and sometimes, and then there's variation. Some people have some clots, some are small, some people have large clots. There's lots going on there. Um, but I do want to point out, and I might have said this in our other talk, it's not toxic. There's these myths that have been around for a long time that women are dirty when they bleed. And I've reserved time at the end of this talk to talk about this, but in short, it was believed so much that scientists actually did research into it, you know, because there's um, they in some cultures they're like well women can't touch plants or the plants will die if they're menstruating and they touch a plant it dies or you can't go into the kitchen because you'll spoil the food so they're like gosh maybe there's like toxins on their hands when they're menstruating they looked into it it's not true okay <laughs> your blood is not toxic okay unless there's something else going on but by and large it is not by default dirty or toxic um and another cool thing is that menstrual blood is when it's being released, like we have these spiral arteries, that's literally what they're called. And they literally look like spirals and they nourish the uterus. They nourish the inner lining of it. And that's what helps the uh, endometrial lining, the inner lining of the uterus to grow and thicken. It's it's so beautiful i wish i had pictures to show you but please at some point go google spiral arteries of the uterus they're beautiful um those arteries open when we menstruate and they kind of flush out the contents of the uterus so we're not just releasing the blood that was already in the uterus there's kind of like a a, a little washing out mechanism it's like you know letting it with blood to just wash it out so so those open and that's kind of what happens during menstruation great okay cool so we bleed um sec uh, second phase which isn't it's not the second it's more like just uh, another phase because it's going on at the same time as menstruation the follicular phase starts on the same day that you start menstruating actually so follicular phase is when the egg actually starts to mature in the ovary okay so follicle stimulating hormone or fsh is released in the pituitary gland right the hypothalamus is like hey pituitary we need fsh so it sends out fsh which works on the ovaries so the eggs, our eggs live inside a follicle inside of the ovary. So it's ovary, follicle, and follicle houses the egg. So those get stimulated by FSH. And, you know, maybe five to 20 of them start maturing during this cycle. And by the end of it, only one, usually, is released, right? During this time, we also have the endometrial lining, right? The inner lining of the uterus begins to thicken. It becomes rich with blood and nutrients because part of the idea is that that is where a fertilized egg might implant. 
So it's like making the bed for the baby to feel all cozy and nuzzled and get all the nutrients it'll need. So that's what we start seeing during the follicular phase. Okay, so phase three, we get to ovulation. So that gets triggered by high levels of luteinizing hormone. Now, an egg lives for approximately 24 hours, sometimes less, sometimes a little more. But that's pretty much it, 24 hours, okay? Let's see. Um, I'll, I'll dive into this now, ovulation, and when it happens. So on average, like I said, in a 28-day cycle, an individual will ovulate on day 14. However, be careful here. Please do not think that that means that everyone ovulates on day 14, because it's not true. So you got to be very careful because you don't want to end up assuming that's when you're going to ovulate every time. Even if you have ovulated around day 14, more, uh, you know, consecutively for many months, it's still possible that something could happen that would affect that and you'll ovulate sooner or later. Okay. So when you want to track your ovulation, uh, we'll talk about how you can do that. Um, you have to track it cycle from cycle to cycle and try not to assume, oh, it's going to happen around the same time it happened last month because that gets people into sticky situations. Um, it'll change. So we'll get to the next phase, the last phase, phase four, luteal phase. So this phase is actually has a little bit more of a predictable time frame than the other phases. This one on average really does tend to be about 14 days, sometimes 16 days, but this one's a little more predictable. Okay. So if you have right that 28 day cycle, you count back 14 days to figure out when your ovulation was most likely. Right, so that's how you can figure out when you ovulated. However, if you're trying to get pregnant or avoid getting pregnant, it's not helpful to know when you ovulated two weeks later, right? <laughs> but still, it's a way for you to practice getting in tune with your cycle and your rhythm and the way your body is working. Um, so usually two weeks before you bleed, you can count back and pinpoint when you ovulated. Or get pretty close to it anyways. Um, so the follicular phase is when the follicle becomes a corpus luteum. So remember, the follicle houses the egg in the ovary, right? Then you ovulate, the egg releases from the ovary, it goes into the fallopian tubes and hangs out in the uterus for a couple weeks, right? But the follicle that was housing the egg stays inside of the ovary. And that becomes something that we call corpus luteum. 
and that stays alive for uh what 10 ish days and it starts releasing progesterone primarily also some oestrogen but it's mainly progesterone that it's releasing and that progesterone maintains the thick and the uterine line and the endometrial lining and make sure it stays nice and thick and plump right and vital for the egg to implant if it becomes fertilized so progesterone is crucial for uh for pregnancy right it's progesterone progestation that's how you can remember that one um so if that egg were to become fertilized and implant into the uterine wall, the corpus luteum inside of the ovary would continue making progesterone for a while to keep the egg nourished. Eventually the placenta would take over that role and the corpus luteum would kind of phase out, but it plays an incredibly important role. Okay. Um, so if, progesterone levels and that very special specific dance between the hormones isn't coordinated perfectly uh, you know sometimes people who have repeated miscarriages not always but sometimes it has to do with low progesterone levels like people can get pregnant but they don't have high enough progesterone levels to maintain the pregnancy so so that's just a thing that comes up comes up often um, so follicular phase, anything else I want to say about that, right? If the egg is not fertilized, then the corpus luteum dies around day 22 of a 28 day cycle. Um, and as it dies, the progesterone levels that it was making obviously will start decreasing and eventually they decrease enough that it'll trigger menstruation. And we start the cycle all over again. Okay. So I wanted to go back to ovulation for a moment because that's almost like the the part of the menstrual cycle that gets the least amount of attention. You know, it's like what right blood, menstruation period, it's like very obvious and in our face, but ovulation is a little more subtle, right? But it it's you know, without it, none of this would happen. So, hmm, ovulation. I want to invite you deep into that one. Um, maybe I can do this in combination with the fertility awareness method. Yeah, let's do that. So if you haven't heard of fertility awareness method, I'm going to call it FAM because that's how it's abbreviated, F-A-M. It's literally a method that invites you to become aware of your fertility and teaches you how to know what part of the cycle you're in, how to pinpoint when you are fertile, and then use that to your advantage however you need to. So I'm not here to teach you what that method is, because if you want to become so aware of the very subtle nuances of your cycle in order to avoid or encourage a pregnancy, 
you need to like there to dive into that it's uh it's it's a very specific art really um so you can't just have like a general idea like you you really got to learn how to pinpoint it <laughs> um but i'm going to give you some general ideas uh, that you and, and concept that you can start practicing to start diving into this practice okay so let's see well an important part of the fan method is pinpointing your fertility window right so i already told you the egg lasts on average about 24 hours right however you might have heard that a fertility window is actually about six days and you know six seven five six seven days and that's because sperm right i think we you've heard perhaps is able to live within the vagina during specific circumstances for about up to five days now sometimes it's less sometimes it's a little more right so that's why there's a range right um so if your egg is viable for 24 hours in order to become pregnant you know you have the highest success by having you know unprotected sex a few uh you know three days before two days before you actually ovulate that's when people tend to have the most success right uh, but if you're trying to avoid getting pregnant, then you know, okay, the day you ovulate and the five days leading up to it, so your six-ish days are your most fertile days where you got to, you know, decide what you're doing, trying to have a baby, not have a baby, take appropriate action, <laughs> okay? That's your window. So back to what we started this conversation with about the assumption that at least many people tend to have is that you can be, you're just fertile, you're at any moment, you know, um, it's not true. It's just that six-ish day window, right? After that, you're not. Before that, you're not. But you got to know how to pinpoint that window for yourself, right? Because you don't, you wouldn't want to assume that you ovulated and then not ovulated and then have your numbers get thrown off, right? Not fun either way. Because something that happens often is people are trying to get pregnant and they're just having sex on day 14 because that's the average. So that's when they're doing it. But then what happens when that person is actually ovulating on day 12? Then, you know, that's not working for them at all. <laughs> and that's, also something that happens often you know people not understanding their own cycle so i want you to know how to pay attention to your own cycle so so first off you can just go start charting you can um i mean you know there's actually charts online there's some free ones you could download um there's some you could buy you know, there's, there's some really amazing, beautiful ones, but to be honest, what I do and I love and works for me, you know, just write it in a journal, day one, <laughs> day two, and write it out. Um, I have an app called Kindara. It's the only one I've ever used. I like it. It works for me. There's like hundreds of them. Um, 
that can be a fun way to keep track too. They actually put your information on a chart for you so you can kind of see and then it's cool to have like months of it uh, built up and you can see your pattern. Tune into yourself. Warning about the apps. Again, please, uh, the apps, some of them don't do this, but a lot of them do. They will estimate when you're going to menstruate next and when you're going to ovulate next. Don't believe them. <laughs> because they are estimating that or predicting that based off the 28-day standard cycle. But if that's not you, then it's not relevant to you. Yeah. So that, that messes up a lot of people. So please don't do that. Just use the app to put in information so that you can start figuring yourself out. Now, an important element to tracking your cycle for the sake of knowing your fertile window is checking your temperature. Okay. When, let's see, when progesterone is released, our body temperature increases by about a degree. So if you wanted to really embrace this method, you would have to take your temperature every single day at the exact same time before you get out of bed and do anything to try to get your basal metabolic temperature. Like, like you at resting, what's your temperature? and then get a pattern of that. And then eventually, after a few months of doing it, you'll be able to pinpoint when you have a temperature spike, okay? Again, I'm not giving you the framework to how to do this because it's delicate, right? Obviously, if you're using it for contraceptive reasons, like you wanna make sure it works. So when used effectively, or Sorry, when you use correctly, this can be a very effective rhythm. Some sources say up to 99%. But again, you've got to use it exactly as the framework is. It's a very specific art. There's some people that take the fertility awareness method and get a little loose with it and then get pregnant. They're like, oh yeah, the fan method doesn't work. I got pregnant. But then you talk to them and then you realize, oh, well, you know, you got a little, you didn't quite follow it to the T, which is fine, but, but that's why, yeah? So, fertility awareness method. The other thing that I do want to invite you into, this is something I really love, cervical nectar. Okay, the books call it cervical mucus, but that just sounds terrible. So I don't call it that. <laughs> it's a nectar. Yeah? So, you know, we, we've all seen this, you know, like the vaginal discharge, you know, that's why they got panty liners and stuff, whatever. <laughs> um, I'm inviting you here today to pay attention to your vaginal discharge. And, and it's possible that you know, if you're like me and many other people at some point, you know, someone made us feel like, oh, vaginal discharge is gross and blah. I'm inviting you to reframe that uh, and see it differently. That's just an amazing part of your body that has so many clues and messages for you. So 
your cervical nectar and vaginal secretions change from, throughout the phases of your cycle. Uh, given our time frame today, I'm not going to break down each phase very detailed. However, I will say about ovulation, that is generally when the cervical nectar becomes uh, a little more watery and a consistency of like egg yolk. I have so many awesome videos of mine. I wish I could show you. Maybe I'll send them or something. I, I'm like that. <laughs> I'm like, honey, you want to see my cervical nectar? He's like, no. I'm like, please, it's really stretchy. <laughs> the point is I have fallen in love with all these aspects of myself that it's no longer disgusting. It is in fact, um, uh, well, it, it, it's fascinating. There we go, fascinating to me. Um, so it kind of like a, a egg yolk, or no, sorry, egg white consistency. Right, it's like stretchy and goopy and totally clear. That's what it generally tends to look like when someone's ovulating. So you might have noticed that at some point in your cycle. There's variations to that. Sometimes there are some people that say they never notice it. Okay, doesn't mean you're not ovulating. Okay. Um, some people get it, but it's also mixed with cream, or some people get a lot more than others. So for some, it's a little more watery. But generally, that's kind of what it looks like. Um, so what you can do is just, just pay attention. Every time you go to the bathroom, like, you know, check your panties, you know, what is it like when you wipe? And notice how it changes, because it will change. And lots of factors can go into what it looks like. Um, and it'll look different from person to person, too, again, for many factors. Um, but, but pay attention to that, because those are signs from, from your cervix. <laughs> okay. All right. So I covered most of the basic menstrual cycle understandings I wanted to, and fertility window basics. You have tools there to start paying attention more um, and just figuring out your body and your cycle, okay? Now, we're gonna get into, uh, let's see, how will I approach this? Okay, there is a master thesis written by a woman named Makana. Some of you may know her. Um, you know, she submitted her thesis. It was through UH Manoa Hawaiian Studies program. And Carly, I'm going to send you this link for you to maybe distribute it to everyone. It's over 100 pages. Um, all I can tell you right now, it's amazing and it is worth diving into. Okay. Again, some of you might already know this and be more versed in it than I am. But I really wanted to make sure you guys um, saw this because she dives into so many important things, one of which is a common misconception that I alluded to earlier, right? The whole, oh, menstruation is dirty. Women are dirty when they're menstruating. And sometimes you hear that, oh, yeah, well, Hawaiians would 
send their woman and banish them when they were menstruating to some like isolated hut because they were they were dirty and they were going to paint the community so they had to be you know separated to protect the community because they're so dirty so that that's just something I, I i've heard for years and the interesting thing is that there's many indigenous communities around the world that had a similar practice of having the menstruating woman um, just have a designated space for them to be during that time. And what's also similar is that it's misconstrued as being done because they're dirty and needing to be banished. So I'm here to help uh, unpack that and the thesis that you know I sent the link out to dives into that more because it's inaccurate. That was the Westerner's perspective because in Catholicism and Christianity, yeah, menstruating women are dirty, right? So when the colonizers arrived to all these places, they saw it from their lens and saw, oh yeah, they're banishing them because they're dirty. And that's the story that's lived on, at least in the mainstream world. So I'm here to invite you into letting go of that inaccurate narrative and understanding that it wasn't that. It was in fact Hawaiians and native people around the world understanding the significance and the power of menstruation. That women, when they are in fact bleeding, are open portals. They're much more in tune to the whatever you want to call it, subtle energies, the spirit realm, the, you know, the realm of what you, the, that, that you can't see, the non-physical, um, and that we can have, you know, more wisdom coming through, that we can tap into the ancestral wisdom way more than at any other point in our cycle. So the understandings there are that women were not banished because they're dirty, no. They were sent to their sacred isolated areas so that they could be present with all that wisdom and tap into it. So a lot of the time, right, women weren't allowed to cook or clean or just be doing the mundane day-to-day -day stuff, not because they were dirty, but because they were menstruating. Like they had more important things to do than just cleaning around, you know? So... That, that's the reframing of what it was actually like. So in the anthropology world, like this is a very common, uh, commonly understood reality that um, colonizers and even anthropologists that would go around and studying uh, Native communities misunderstood the relationship between women menstruation and their communities. So that's been widely dismantled. So I just want to clarify that. Um, you know, there's so many names for, for our cycle. Um, I personally, you know, tend to say moon time for myself, but um, some names I have found in, in the Hawaiian language, you know, the, the most popular common one perhaps is ma'i. And I'm not, you know, I'm not totally fluent and I don't know the all the many uh, definitions of money, but generally when people say it, it's also 
uh, carrying this weight of like, oh yeah, money gross. The like disease, like illness, it's sick, like it's bad. So that's how I've often heard it related to. Um, and and who knows? Maybe there was more to my even just that. Maybe there was a positive connotation to it at, in another context that I don't know about. Um, but I know popularly that's how it's used. Uh, and again, it's like really. All right, are we sure that that was true? Um, again, many, many scholars and uh, people in the community are dismantling that. Um, so some other ones I've heard is by Makalehua, Hanabai, Kahe, Heekoko, Vai, Vai Ula, Vai Okawahine, and by Makalehua. And I was reading this book the other day. Um, there's a Jun Gutmanis book of just the Aula Pa'au and um, is telling the story of this girl. She gets her first period and she tells grandma and, and, and she goes, grandma, Lehua has sent her tears. And it's just, you know, it's like there, it's like, it's beautiful. You know, there's so much more depth there than, than the ma'i um, tends to share, at least when it's coming from the place of saying gross or, or dirty. Um, so, so these are just jumping off points for you here, right? I'm not Hawaiian. I don't know these things deeply and I haven't dived into it a lot, just some. And here's, right, tip of the iceberg stuff I have found. Um, Right, the Halepea, you know, oh, it was just this place for us. I mean, around the world, they had some sort of Halepea, the safe place for us to just revel in the magic, in the power, in the wisdom of menstruating. So, go read Makana's thesis, it is fire. Um, I'm going to open up the questions that you guys sent in. I know someone was actually asking about, let's see, someone asked about indigenous ways administration, but I can't find it now. Anyways, that's part of why I went off on that tangent because I know someone was asking about those indigenous perspectives. So that's part of that answer. Okay, so another question. Uh, someone asked, what are the types of foods you should eat before, while, and after your menstrual cycle? Okay, I'll answer that one first. So when we bleed, we are letting go energetically and physically. And yeah, we're, we're in some ways totally losing fluid. We're losing water and blood and thus iron, right? So while you're menstruating, focus on hydrating, right? Um, I'll tie this into another question. Someone asked about remedies for period cramps. A lot of the time, the cramps are because someone's dehydrated. Like go chug a bunch of water electrolytes put some paakai in it mm, oh especially with the lye please there you go you get electrolytes and your minerals in one 
Um, oh, hold on, I lost the questions. Okay. Um, yeah, iron rich foods. So maybe like bone broth, that's amazing, right? You get hydrated and you get to get so many nutrients from it. Also, yeah, lots of soups. You can put like dark leafy greens in your soups or wakame, different seaweeds. Um, your meats, of course, beets, just all the things that you know have iron. That's a great thing to focus on. Okay. During your cycle, after your cycle. Um, yeah, even before your cycle, totally. Um, so it's kind of the same across the board. <laughs> Stay hydrated and, and eat your iron rich foods. Um, you know, I always say start with the foods before you jump to supplements or just because you're doing supplements, you know, that's not necessarily an invitation to not get your iron source from your food. You know, everyone's got different circumstances. So you do what works for you. Okay. What does it mean if you lose your menstrual cycle while using prescription birth control? I'm not uh, totally clear. I wish I could ask you guys to clarify some things with these questions, but I'm gonna do my best to address it as I understand it. Um, Cause different menstrual cycle, uh, I mean, birth controls just work differently, right? If you're taking the pill, um, it depends on how you're using it. You know, when you're taking the pill, you're not having a menstrual cycle. I know people call it a period, but it's not a period. Uh, so if you take the pill for 21 days, right, and then there's seven days of just the sugar pill, if you're following that rhythm, then, you know, you're supposed to bleed when you take the sugar pill. What you're bleeding isn't actually menstruation. It's just your body have, um, it's the drop of hormones. Just triggering this breakthrough bleeding um but if you're not having a menstrual cycle you know it could be so many things is it because maybe you're actually not taking seven days of the sugar pill i know this this is kind of blows my mind but more often they're actually having continuous birth control so it's just like skip the seven day sugar pill and just keep going with the hormones nonstop to completely suppress the menstrual cycle. So, I mean, maybe that's going on. If it's not uh, the pill that's causing you to lose your menstrual cycle, and maybe you've got another birth control. I mean, yeah, I guess I'll answer this question with more questions. Like, if you're experiencing this, like, look at the kind of birth control you're using. Is that supposed to happen? Um, is that the way it's supposed to work? Because for some, it is. Um, for some, it's not. Are you using it correctly? Um, yeah. And, you know, at the end of the day, the birth control, whatever option you use, is meant to disrupt your hormone pattern. So, yeah, things get weird and wonky, and your body's not going to be able to function um normally because you're intentionally doing something to disrupt it so yeah sorry i wish i could ask more specifically what people wanted out of that but i hope that gave the question some justice hmm, okay next question actually someone said not applicable to questions so i, I wonder what that means 
they're like, I'm good. I know plenty, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> um, but the next one is, is there a reason why the flow of our period fluctuates? There are times where my flow is ridiculously heavy and others where it's lighter. Awesome question. Okay. Yes, there's definitely plenty of factors that could play into that. Um, so why would a period fluctuate? So there's quite a few reasons I could play into it. And I'm going to invite you, whoever asked that, and really anyone that's thinking this for themselves, I'm going to invite you to think about that for yourself and answer it yourself. Like, okay, it fluctuates. What do you think? What do you think is going on? Right? Start there. I know you asked me the question because you want it. I'm going to answer it. But I always want to turn it back to you guys. You guys got answers within you. It's about tuning in and paying attention. And I know it's hard. Like sometimes I'm like, I'm trying to tune in, but I'm still not getting answers. I know, but keep practicing tuning in and pay attention. You're like, okay, well this month it was super heavy. What did I do this month? Look at the three weeks leading up to that period and reflect what was going on in your life. How were you eating? How was your sleep cycle? How was your emotional life? How was your stress level? How was your relationship with your mom or your sister or your daughter, right? What was going on? How's your health? Um, and the same even when it's light, um, you know? So even, yeah, for me, like I've finally gotten to a point where more often than not, I don't have cramps when I bleed which is weird because I used to always have cramps and I'm like, where did they go? This feels weird. I'm just bleeding and it doesn't hurt. Um, but, but every now and then I'm like, oh, okay, there they are. There's a the cramp. Um, so I'll sit with them. I'm like, okay, what's going on? I'm like, oh, okay, well, maybe I went driving around town all day to appointments and barely had any water. I catch up on my water and that often helps. Or maybe I'm like, oh yeah, I actually spent the past, you know, the three weeks leading up to this cycle eating a bunch of garbage or a bunch of sugar and carbs. Um, sugar and carbs can be a big one. Um, for some people, it can be lactose. Um, dairy can cause an inflammatory response and inflammation can play a role with pain. Um, they weren't asking about pain, they were asking about flow changes, but, but still all these things can affect it. So yeah, maybe one flow, you had something super emotional you were working through. Maybe there's a breakup. Maybe there's just a big argument. Um, yeah, dive into those things. So those are things that, those are factors um, that can totally affect your flow. Okay. All right. Next question. Remedy tips for period cramps, fatigue, etc. The fatigue thing is often correlated with um, anemia or just low levels of iron and hemoglobin, uh, which we're, we're just prone to. If you lose blood every month and you don't actively work to replenish and regrow your blood supply, it can definitely get depleted, especially if you tend to have a heavier cycle for whatever reason. Um, especially if you've had kids or miscarriages or abortions. So, so often paying attention to building up your iron will help with the fatigue. 
okay? Another thing is allowing yourself to rest during your period and really sleep in general because when we don't sleep, I mean, we rebuild our blood while we sleep. So if we don't sleep, then we can't rebuild our blood, right? So, so that's why, I mean, part of why sleeping is so important. How you build your blood. Um, but yeah, and sometimes when people push themselves through their periods, like I get it, I've had to do it. Um, but if you do that all the time and you never let yourself slow down during your period, that can catch up to you too, right? You're pushing yourself while you're actively bleeding. It's natural, but you are actively bleeding. Um, I mean, when, in any other context of someone bleeding, you would be like, slow down, <laughs> right? So slow down. Your body's already losing nutrients and working hard through a major physiological process. And then on top of it, you're pushing yourself to run a marathon or whatever it might be. Um, so, so sometimes fatigue creeps in for those reasons. Um, other tips for period cramps that, you ha that I haven't mentioned, let's see. Um, well, well, Carly probably knows this. I, lavender um, or what's that other one, Carly? Um, I always forget. Uh, Clary Sage. Clary Sage. Ah, <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Um, those two essential oils or either one on the womb um, can be very helpful. Warmth is your friend. Heat pads, hot water bottles, get in the bathtub, hot shower, warm teas, put socks on. <laughs> that was my mom's wisdom that she passed on to me that, you know, she got from the woman before her. Put socks on your feet when you're menstruating. Put socks on your feet leading up to your menstrual cycle. Why? Because if you're walking around cold floor, like I got tile in my house. It gets cold, even in, you know, the summer. <laughs> um, if your feet are cold, the blood running through your feet will be colder. And then that moves up to the pelvis around your uterus, bringing colder blood. And yep, I see your hands doing the thing. Totally, it's going to trigger more cramps. So if you keep your feet warm, I know, even in the summer, just put some light socks, whatever. <laughs> um, it'll help. You'd be surprised how much it can help, okay? So yeah, warmth is your friend. Uh, okay, well, here's that one. What are different indigenous views uh, and takes on menstrual cycle? I think we did a good job with that one already. Um, there's some cultures revere, cultures revere it, etc. Yeah, totally, absolutely. Right. Um, Another layer to that is, right, the women were recognized as being able to tap into that ancestral wisdom um, and just spirit realm during that time. So it's like, go, go retreat and tap into the wisdom and see what the spirits have to say to help guide the community, you know? Like, if we have questions, we're navigating something big, we need to make huge decisions for this community, like, go ask the spirits how we're going to navigate this. Go get answers. So they could serve as guides for the community in that way, right? And here we are in these modern times thinking it's just a nuisance. <laughs> okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go off on a short tangent here, the whole it's a nuisance thing. We live in a world that 
prioritizes and idealizes maleness as the standard, right? That's the ideal. Linear, rational, logical men. That's the standard. And that's why we've got birth control to like, well, you don't even need a period. We'll just turn it off because you don't need a period. Just be like a man without a period. Just no, no cycles, no flow. Just be linear. You know, there's very little acceptance or tolerance for fluctuation. The truth is, yes, we do fluctuate more than men. We've got this. We go through pretty much four seasons in one month with our cycle. And that's just a way more fluctuation than men. Men tend to go through their seasons in a day as far as how their hormones work. So just recognizing that, you know, that it does come from that male-centered life or culture, mainstream culture. Um, to think that your cycle is a nuisance, that it's getting in the way of productivity, right? Because we got to produce and you got to be constant. They don't like this that some days you feel like working and some days you feel like resting. No, 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 that's weak. You got to feel strong and like giving your 100% work every single day for the system, right? And we're here like, no, actually, uh, I, I need to rest, uh, especially when I'm bleeding. And they're like, oh, women are weak because they need to rest when they're bleeding. Like, well, whatever. Don't let that get in your head. <laughs> Recognize that it is in your benefit to let yourself rest. If you let yourself rest when you bleed, you can come out stronger the next week. But if you push through, you're just going to drain yourself in the long run. Okay? I've been there. I have felt that. <laughs> um. So, okay, that's my short tangent. All right, next question. I have heard that women should exercise, eat, work, mother, et cetera, during different times in our cycle and structure our lives around our cycle. Is this true? And how can we figure out what, what, what? I, I can't see the rest of it. <laughs> um, okay, I, how, maybe how can we figure out what to, uh, I don't know. Okay, I'll try, I'll answer it. I was already kind of talking about it. Yes, different times of our cycle have different phases um, that parallel the seasons. So I honestly get a little confused when I'm saying them out loud. Let's see, bear with me. So menstruation parallels winter. That's when things die, things slow down, right? You retreat inward, right? The bears go into the caves, they're hibernating, all the animals kind of go inside, things get silent. Um, and there's death, right? There's the release of tissue. There's, you know, an egg that was not fertilized or maybe was fertilized, um, but it's still being released. Um, yeah, quiet inward time. It's winter, so we slow down. And then after winter, we have spring. Um, so, right, is that true? Is that exactly what we have after winter? Winter, spring, summer autumn okay so winter and then spring so things are kind of starting to come back up back to life right the uterine lining starts growing again the egg starts 
to mature, right? There's new hope. There's new, the seeds are germinating, the flowers are starting to grow again. The leaves are coming back to the trees after they fell in the winter. Great. And then summertime, ovulation. Uh, this one's actually my favorite time of my cycle because it's when I feel the most energized, the most creative. Um, I, it's when I feel the most social too. Um, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an introvert. I'm not usually social. But so, so you know, it's my, it, it's summertime. You know, everything's alive and it's fun. And then autumn time, things start kind of slowing down a little bit again, right? So if you think about the general energy um, and the characteristics of nature during each one of those seasons, you can draw the parallels of how it relates to our cycle with our hormones and our psyche and our mind and our spirit. So if you have never really felt those, that's all right. I invite you to just start tuning in. If you like start a little journal, you're like, okay, day one, this is how I feel. Day two, this is how I feel. If you do that for every day of your cycle, you can eventually go back and over time and see what patterns come up. Yeah. So, so yeah. Let's see, did I get all of that? Yeah. So, so yeah, there's definitely different things that, might be more efficient and just work better for you to do at different times of your cycle. So if you plan to do a marathon while you're bleeding, you know, sure you can do that, but maybe it could be a little, it might feel better to your being to do it when you're ovulating. Um, so I try to plan things out around my cycle, you know, like if I'm going to give a a massage or host um, a circle or a yoga class or something. I, I try to avoid doing those things when I'm bleeding. Sometimes I can't avoid it. It just works out that way. But, um, but still, you can try to be mindful to arrange your life in a way that works better for those times. Because if you feel super tired when you're bleeding, like maybe don't schedule yourself to, uh, I don't know, go I don't know, into the office or something that day. Maybe you can work from home those days or, you know, try. Can try. All right. Uh, okay. What kinds of things can affect our regular menstrual cycle? How do you know if something is really bad in regards to our cycle? Is being irregular bad? You guys are full of great questions. Okay. Things that can affect regular menstrual cycle. Oh, hey. So... What affects the cycle, right? Like I said, ovulation is really the epicenter of the cycle. So what affects ovulation? Uh, there's studies and ancient wisdom that agrees and recognizes that light affects our ovulation. So often women will ovulate around the full moon. I'm not saying if you bleed down the full moon, it's bad. Sometimes that's the thing too. Um, and sometimes it changes over time. But the full moon has an effect on us, right? We know it has an effect on the tides. We are like, what is it, 70 plus percent water? Like, how is it not going to have an effect on us? 
<laughs> it's not my hippie woo woo stuff. It's just like, come on, even science sees it. So, right, we know plants have higher water content during the full moon. Like, it just has an effect. So, the other side of that is that, you know, our modern times, we have our computer screens, our phones, we have lights that we turn off after sunset, right? We have all these artificial lights around us all the time, and that really throws off our rhythm. They've done studies where women slept with um, this night light at certain times of their cycle, and eventually they were ovulating when the light was on, okay? So, so yes, it's beautiful that the moon can guide our rhythm, but also just all the artificial light is bad. Oh, well, I'm sorry. Okay, I'll take it back. It's not that it's bad, but it has an impact. Okay, how about that? There we go. A little less bias there. Um, <laughs> I have a street light right outside my window that I've been trying to do something about because I know, like, I close my eyes and I can still see it. So I've been facing the other way until I figure out something else. So be mindful of those things. That can have a huge impact. Um, going to, you know, your sleep cycle when you're sleeping, when you're not, are you getting enough sleep? Are you going to bed super late? Um, those things have an impact. Um, food, right? Food, always a big piece of this. Uh, oh, stress is a major one that can affect ovulation. So even if you're really regular and you always ovulate on day 14, but then maybe one week, you have something super stressful happen. Gosh, maybe there's an earthquake. Maybe you just got into, you know, you got into it with someone you love and it was intense. Um, that can affect your, your ovulation and it'll delay it. Um, so you'll ovulate later. And thus, your menstrual cycle will actually start later too, right? You'll bleed later than usual. Um, so sometimes we can't control those things. Sometimes we get caught up and we react more than we want to, but just know that that can play into it. So if you find yourself being like, gosh, I always bleed on day 28 and now it's day 32, like, yeah, sure, you might be pregnant, but also think back what was happening while you were around your ovulation window, yeah? How do you know something's bad in regards to our cycle? It's being irregular bad. Um, Gosh, honestly, the modern ways of life in general can, can really be a real challenge for our system. I mean, the amount of sugar that's often involved um, in mainstream diets, you know, like that's a huge factor, sugar. Um, how do you know something's bad? I mean, you're going to, something's off, right? You feel something's off. Um, maybe you have lots of clots. Maybe you have lots of cramps. Cramps are common, but they're a sign that something's up. That's not just the way it's supposed to be. If you're having cramps, pay attention to that. They're trying to tell you something. So follow that. Um, is being irregular bad? Not necessarily. It could be, it could not be. Tune in, what do you think? You know, are you like 22 days and then 35 days? That's a big difference. There might be something going on. Are you, skipping cycles that's usually a sign something's up but if you go from like 29 days and maybe 32 days like uh, it's usually okay yeah okay am i willing to learn 
Oh, wait, so no, I am willing to learn. I am currently on birth control, so I have not had my period in three years. All right, well, I, let's see, what can I share with this person? Um, yeah, even if you're on birth control, um, you can still tap into things with your cycle. You know, I understand if you're on birth control, you're on it for a reason and, you know, it can maybe not feel like the most comfortable idea to think of being off of it. Um, so if you haven't had your period, you know, I don't know why you're on birth control, you know, but speaking very generally here, um, maybe, maybe tune in to see how you feel about not having had your period in three years. You know, um, everything in life, there is pros and cons and there's risks to everything, no matter how you look at something. So I'm not, yeah, I'm not going to try to go into what way to go. Just pay attention. If that works for you, okay. Um, just know, you know, there's always a trade-off with things for sure. Um, and I'm kind of dancing around he something here because I'm trying to be sensitive. And at the same time, I do want to be a voice to something that's often not recognized or expressed, which is uh, suppressing a period. Um, you know, you're suppressing the system's body, the natural way. Um, it's going to throw things off in one way or another. You know, it's, it's just not healthy. And that's not even a judgment. It's just it's not healthy to, to try to suppress the body's natural ways okay um so so i've just seen that bring up challenges for people so you know tune in again everyone's got their own journey and what works for them and for whatever reasons that's working but it might be worth checking in about that's all okay if i take birth control regularly why does my cycle start on wednesday and not sunday i wish i could ask this person a little more because Wednesday and Sunday will come at different times in every month. So I would say don't focus on the days of what day of the week it is, but focus on the time intervals between your birth control, right? Uh, if you're using the standard pill cycle of 21 days of hormones and seven days of the sugar pill, then your cycle should come during seven sugar pill day timeframe. So you would count the 21 days in between without worrying about Wednesday or Sunday or whether it's the 10th or the 13th or whatever. Um, hopefully that's what this person, that makes sense to the context of this person, yeah. All right, so how does semen affect your cycle? So, that's the last question, okay. So if you are paying attention to your cervical mucus in order to, your cervical nectar or your vaginal discharge, in order to figure out when your fertile window is, semen can make it super tricky. So it can sometimes confuse people and they might not be able to recognize their own uh, ovulation nectar so they might not pick up on it, right? Um, that's kind of the, the biggest factor. Um, if this person means 
because like we were saying, during your period, you rest, you go. In many communities in Hawaiian culture, you know, it's like you don't have sex when you're bleeding. Kaku, not okay, right? Um, I, I don't know if maybe this person was trying to get at that about having sex during your period. Um, I'm not going to say it's okay or not okay. Um, to each their own, whatever culture and beliefs feel good in your heart and mind. Um, but on an energetic level, yeah, maybe sometimes it's, you know, your period really is a time for you to focus on you and just go in within yourself and focus only on that. Um, yeah, ta-da, those are all the questions. We ran through them all. <laughs>